He is risen. I'm glad most of you are still awake. It's great to be in God's house and celebrating a risen Savior together this morning on Easter Sunday. Thank you for being here. Thank you for gathering in God's house to celebrate. Uh, it is not only Easter, but it's also almost tax season. It's also April Fool's Day. Did you know that? I just found out this morning. That's not entirely true. I've behaved myself today. Are you proud of me? Some of you aren't proud of me. Okay, I I mostly behaved myself, except for when I I went to get my coffee this morning at McDonald's. My coffee and my parfait. That's my Sunday uh, morning tradition here at the uh, Clearfield McDonald's. And as I pulled up, something came over me uh, to the window. I pulled up to the window and I had the moment from when I, I, I ordered to when I pulled up to the window to lapse in judgment. <clears throat> so when the young man opened up the, the window and I handed him my, my money, I said, hey, I hope you guys are cool. It didn't look like the bus that followed me in was completely full. And the guy looked at me like, did you say school bus? And I said, no, 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 it's a tour bus, but it doesn't look like it's completely full. He looked at me again, and I said, I'm just kidding. And he went, thank you. (laughs) And then instantly, almost as instantly as he had relief, he said, oh, and thanks, because I'm going to do that to my boss in just a second. (laughs) So um, I'm proud to tell you that I have spread the uh, April Fool's cheer uh, this morning at McDonald's, and I don't know if they're still open, uh, but... uh, (laughs) I don't, as far as I've been able to tell in my own personal calendar uh, and record keeping, I don't believe I've ever had the privilege of preaching on uh, April Fool's Day. I don't think it has ever fallen this way that I have had a, a, a memory of, but uh, I've preached on big Sundays like Easter, uh, but today is Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day. So I, I, I'm going to use this first half a second to uh, tell you about my greatest prank ever, if you'll allow me. Can I, can I give you some insight into my broken childhood? <laughs> I, I believe I was 11 years old, and um, it was, it, it gets a little serious here. It, it was just a couple months after our family had buried uh, my sister, my older sister, and our family was going through that grieving process as uh, many of you have experienced. And um, I remember being the mature 11-year-old, uh, remembering that it was my job to try to lighten the mood in the family. So I did things in my own power uh, to try to do that. And there was one specific evening that my younger sister and I, uh, she was nine, I was 11, my parents were going to be away at a a funeral. Uh, That afternoon and evening, they would be coming back late, but they trusted us to be home alone. At nine and 11, some of you are like, I've left my kids home with dog food at age three. Uh, I'm not judging you. Yes, I am. Don't do that. So uh, my parents were away, and we were told, I'm sure, thousands of times, no uh, fighting, don't do anything stupid, just watch TV, and uh, be on your best behavior, right? Do you remember being told that and doing just that? Uh, We were together as siblings were, and I had my plan to uh, make sure that when mom and dad came home, I was going to pull the ultimate prank. So I went to the kitchen, took a rubber band, put it around the sink sprayer. You ever done that? 
you know, the sink sprayer, when someone turns on the sink and the sprinkler, uh, the, sprink, uh, the, the, the kitchen sprayer has its uh, handle crimped down, it's going to spray. It's like an automatic uh, squirt gun. It's perfect. The perfect opportunity. Some of you are taking notes. Ezra told me he took a whole page of notes during this story in first service. So we got to make sure we watch. We got to make sure we watch when we get home. Anyways, I, I got the sprinkler, the, the sprinkler head uh, ready to go, the sprayer head. And I was so excited. And uh, then time lapsed while my parents were gone that evening. And uh, as a nine and 11 year old brother and sister do, somehow we got into a fight, my sister and I. Uh, I asked her to recount some of the story. And a lot, thankfully, a lot of it's blocked from her uh, memory and my memory as well. So I can lie and uh, not get in any trouble. But I'm sure she caused whatever happened. <sighs> And she's not here to defend herself. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure whatever happened uh, was her fault. And we got into this scuffle, a physical fight somehow, and we broke something in the house. It wasn't just something. It was, and this, this was out of my memory, but my sister was very clear in reminding me about what it was. It was mom's prized uh, cow door knocker. Uh, I don't know why someone would have a prized cow door knocker, so I think we were doing a favor. Uh, but... It wasn't even like on the door uh, to be a door knocker. It was just on display. Again, I was doing her a favor. And so we got in this fight and the door knocker fell and broke. (gasps) I don't know what it was made of and how we broke it, but it broke. And what's worse, we fixed it. (laughs) If you've ever seen a nine and 11 year old play with super glue, you can imagine how we fixed it. So we fixed it, we put it back on the table, and we waited for the inevitable, for mom and dad to get home, and we were prepared in our hearts to take the brunt of whatever punishment would be dealt to us. And my parents came home, and I remember being the mature 11-year-old, I confessed first. I told them that we got into a fight, and I not only confessed to breaking the, the, the door knocker, but I confessed to us not behaving the way we were told to, and we, I remember, every time we let my parents down, when I, when I have memories of letting my parents down, believe it or not, and when I did, I remember the, the the saying of, well, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm really disappointed in you, son. We showed them how we fixed the door knocker, and that wasn't very good, and things were bad that this door knocker were broken, but was broken. We, we disappointed them, and the fact that they trusted us to be home alone without them, and all of the grief of our family, it was all just compounding, and then my dad decided to go wash his hands. <laughs> Oops. There's a good chance I blacked out soon after that <laughs> because things get a little foggy. And that's like one of the incidents that we don't really talk about as a family. We're going to go to lunch uh, today with my parents at State College, and my kids are both excited uh, about asking for the details of what followed in that story. It was uh, the greatest prank ever to uh, an 11-year-old, and it didn't go uh, as, as planned. It wasn't the right time. Humorously and maybe truthfully, The end result of of pranks around April Fools or around anything, all of the the giving end and all the receiving end, the end result of all of that is always a little bit less trust, a little bit more doubt or uncertainty. We ask questions after we've been a part of things like that. We ask ourselves, I remember in college always wondering if I would open up the door at the wrong time, would something happen to me? Would a bucket of water fall on my head? Would something happen? I I have those fears still as a dad when my kids uh, say with that certain tone in their voice, hey, dad, come here, we have to show you something. I always wonder, now I have this doubt in my life that I'm uh, not going to see them, you know, doing Bible study together, but instead there's going to be Nerf guns, an arsenal of Nerf guns pointed back at me. 
Doubt is a part of the human condition, right? This morning, I want to talk a little bit more seriously about uh, doubt in our spiritual lives, because I think it creeps in not just into how we uh, work around our family dynamics of pranking or not, but it also comes into our spiritual lives very often. We all know doubt at various levels. It's part of our human condition. I was just having a conversation in the last couple of weeks with a, a young man who's experiencing those first seeds of doubt in his life. And this young man confessed to to me that there's something going on in his mind where he's starting to ask questions that he's never asked before. And in his young heart and life, uh, he felt as though this was an unpardonable sin, that he was just supposed to believe what he's always been told. And when I had conversation with this young man and was able to tell him that, hey, even I have struggled in seasons of doubt, it was as if I'd given him a gift. Uh, a gift of being willing to walk through life together, even amidst seasons of doubt. Scripture, scripture gives us a clear understanding and numerous testimonies of uh, what it looks like to experience doubt. We've all uh, come to know one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple Thomas, as Doubting Thomas, because he is famously uh, recorded in Scripture as being the one who doubted. Jesus had, had died and been resurrected, and he appeared to the disciples, to a group of the disciples, of which Thomas was not a part in this one meeting. He appeared out of nowhere. He didn't open a door. He just appeared to them, and he showed them that he was resurrected from the dead. He uh, was confirming his physical resurrection, and Thomas wasn't present. When the disciples explained to Thomas a little bit later, hey, guess what? We saw Jesus. Thomas said, I, I don't know about that. Unless I put my fingers in his hands, or unless I put my, my, my hand in his side, I just won't believe. And I find it fascinating that Jesus gives him that desire. It's in another instance where Jesus appears out of nowhere, and this time Thomas is with the disciples, and Jesus appears in this room, and he allows Thomas the privilege of experiencing truth in physical form. And Thomas declares boldly in that setting, my Lord and my God, he has confirmation of what it is he believes. And in the closing part of that interaction between Thomas and Jesus, Jesus declares right there in the group of people, the group of disciples and other gathered, he said, you, you Thomas, you, you, you believe because you've actually seen. You, you've put your hands in mine. You see me. You believe because you've seen. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who believe and haven't seen. That's us. Blessed are we who believe even though we haven't seen. Thomas, Christian tradition holds, went on in his doubting phase, went on after that. Uh, some Christian tradition holds that he went as far as India with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He surrendered his whole life to the cause of Christ. And he isn't alone either. Just before uh, Jesus instructs his disciples with what we've come to call uh, the Great Commission, we have this uh, passage of scripture in Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 and 17. Eleven disciples, scripture says, left for Galilee, going 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. But when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Doubting disciples. Uh, we don't know how many. We don't know which ones in this passage of Scripture from Matthew's recording uh, of the events that took place. But those closest to Jesus who had seen him crucified, they watched him die. They watched him. They helped put him into a tomb that was sealed. And they went back to that tomb on Sunday morning and saw it empty. They had experienced Jesus in the, the flesh in those meeting times. They had continued to experience Jesus in physical form. And right here, as Jesus is declaring before he has gone from this earth, telling them of their mission, they are worshiping him, and in their worship, some even doubted. Yet historical traditions maintain that only one of the disciples died of natural causes. All of them, even John, who died of old age, was exiled, put away. The disciples were killed for their beliefs and their bold proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. This morning, I want us to know and see again that we are in good company in seasons of doubt as we work out our faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, I also want to draw our attention to another maybe less familiar or less obvious story, an ally in Scripture of doubt Turn with me or read along on the screen to Matthew's gospel again earlier in chapter 11. We're going to look at John the Baptist this morning for just a few minutes. If you'll remember, John the Baptist had been thrown into prison by Herod at this time because he was publicly condemning Herod for having divorced his wife so that he could marry his brother's wife. We pick up on John the Baptist's story in verse 2 of chapter 11. Scripture reads this way. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him, what you have heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Maybe at first glance, we look at a passage of scripture uh, like this, and we would look at it and say, okay, that was a, a genuine ask. Uh, how do we have an ally of doubt in this department as we look at John the Baptist? We have to take a step back to understand who John the Baptist is. Perhaps no one else in the story of Scripture was more vocal of the divinity of Christ than John the Baptist. Perhaps no one was more publicly vocal about who Jesus truly was. Then John the Baptist looked back at John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, to get this part of the Scripture. Their first interaction, John and Jesus, it goes this way, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, 
The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, John says, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So how is it possible that one so public, so adamant that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, how is it that someone so sold out, someone so committed and publicly adamant that Jesus is the one could, within a span of three years, find himself, maybe in a moment of desperation there in prison in the darkness, wasn't prison like we understand it to be today. Horrible conditions, experiences there that John was no doubt experiencing, fearing for his life. And so he sent these messengers, his own disciples, to go to Jesus. Just to ask again, do I really believe what I believe? From doubting Thomas to those unnamed disciples at the Great Commissioning, to even John the Baptist, I believe we have helpful testimony that gives insight into the heart and minds of many who have walked the footsteps of Jesus Christ and struggled with doubts and uncertainties. These and other testimonies throughout Scripture should cause us to break from a a misinterpretation of what it looks like to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Giving us that all-important reminder that working out our faith, working it out, not blind belief, but working out our faith is something all of us as believers must do. Billy Graham recently passed away. And I was a kid growing up in the church, always going to church, hearing my dad preach messages my whole life. And it was at a Billy Graham crusade that I was surrendered personally to the truth of who Jesus was. I'd been raised around it, I believed it, I, I, I knew the truth, and something in a, a Billy Graham crusade for me as a youngster rang true to push away any doubts I had of who he was. And I surrendered at a Billy Graham crusade in Rochester, New York, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Doubts, uh, uncertainties, They may all be a part of what it looks like to work out our faith, to surrender personally to Jesus Christ. May I suggest to us, may I propose uh, to us some helps uh, along the way? I want to give us four steps that, uh, that should, if you're experiencing a season of doubt today, taking these steps should help in locking in what we believe as followers of Christ. Maybe you're not experiencing a season of doubt. Maybe uh, these steps will help you in a conversation with someone else, maybe this week. Or maybe the season of doubt is just around the corner. Experiences cause us strife and difficulty and seasons of doubt. So look with me. Maybe as a person who has declared publicly, Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe like John the Baptist, Today you find yourself asking, do I really believe what I believe? Walk these steps with me. The first is this, ask for help. 
Ask for help. Step one, uh, we, we've, we've learned from uh, early on in elementary school or sixth grade math specifically uh, that when we don't know how to do a problem, ask someone for help. Uh, probably not your parent because they've forgotten long ago. We understand too from uh, alcohol and substance abuse that the first step to writing this, uh, this, this scenario is to admit that we need what? Admit that we need help. Admit that there's a problem. Seek after help. We understand this at the core of who we are, that we have to admit that we don't have it all together. Can I ask why it is that in the church of Jesus Christ, we have somehow portrayed that people have to have their stuff together in order to be a part of a fellowship of faith? Can I declare boldly that the church should be the first place people turn to when they have doubts and difficulties and uncertainties about things of faith. This idea definitely flies in the face of the cultural norm, which tells us uh, that we can, do, we can do it on our own. We can figure things out, figure it all out on our own. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And if we don't, we can move on to something different. Can I tell you, and maybe you know this, some of you, Asking for help is one of the huge benefits of being a part of a fellowship of faith like this. Being a part of a local church allows us the privilege of doing life together, of walking and working out our faith in community with each other. Maybe you need reminded that you're among a group of people who doesn't have it all together. There's no perfect people in this place. Just people surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't claim to have it all together. We don't even claim to have all of the answers. That's the beauty of our faith is that it is an ongoing work that Christ wants to do in us. I'm not the same faith-filled Christian that I was when I walked forward at a Billy Graham crusade in the 80s. I've grown. I've grown to confirm the things in my life that I know about our Lord. I read a story of a church where the pastor was preaching a message on doubt, and he said, hey, we're going to put a sign up on the front door that says, doubters, welcome here. I, I like that. I, I hope we would as, as well uh, be willing to embrace that mentality, that doubters, people who are uncertain about things and matters of faith are welcome at Hyde Wesleyan Church. What better place to work out our faith than among people who are willing to help? Well, we can't stop there. We can't stop in declaring, hey, doubters, welcome here. You're among doubters. We're all confused and we're going to start believing crazy things. If we're willing to admit that we have a problem, if we're willing uh, to admit that we need help in areas of faith, we need to be also willing to take steps towards renewing that faith, towards solidifying that faith. The second thing I want us to be challenged on, the second step is to take steps of faith. Take steps of faith. We preach messages all the time in the church about what it looks like to take a blind step of faith and to uh, trust in God. That's what I'm encouraging us to do. We would be uh, foolish in our interpretation or our uh, retelling of Scripture today if we wouldn't include stories of those kings of faith, kings and queens of faith in Scripture, if we didn't 
look at the reminder that there are those in Scripture who we rejoice in their steps of faith, but there was doubt in their life. How about Moses? Moses, we celebrate him as the one who freed Israel from Egypt. He had the strength, God-given strength, to go before Pharaoh numerous times and demand that God's people be let go. And we talk occasionally about Moses suggesting that his brother would be a better option. He had doubts of his own ability. How about reading between the lines of uh, someone like Noah, a man of faith who uh, believed God and he followed God's directions on building an ark. Can we imagine, can we do this? Can we imagine that Noah was given this command uh, by God to build an ark and he went, yeah, what? Is that okay? It better be. How about Peter stepping out in water, asking God, asking Jesus, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. Peter had never walked on water before. It wasn't something that he knew to do. And we celebrate the fact that Peter jumped out of the water, and we talk occasionally about the fact that doubt set in, reality set in of what he was doing, and he sank. Jesus saved him. Abraham walking his son up Mount Moriah, told by God to make a sacrifice for his family's sin. And he took that sacrifice, his only son. What a picture, huh? You think he had doubts? When Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? Scripture says, Abraham responded, God will provide. Imagine that interaction. Put yourself in those shoes. It's overwhelming. Even in their steps of faith, there were uncertainties and doubt. Some recorded in Scripture and some not. But in each of their accounts, specific steps of faith were taken. And these... This is the lesson we must take as we take steps of faith. Doubts will be a part of our life. They will be a part of working out our faith, but God is able to help us take the first step. God is willing to uh, be our strength in our weakness. God is willing to be light in our darkness. God's knowledge is perfect in our lack of knowledge and understanding. We can, we should fully rely upon God's ability for everything. He is able. We can show our love for God when we step into the unknown, answering yes to his call to fully trust in his ability, his more than capable hands. He has all of the resources He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. Will you take a step of faith? Third, doubt your doubts. Simply said, doubt your doubts, right? Do you need reminded this morning that sometimes we need to take the the, the veil off and be uh, reminded that there is a battle being waged for your soul today? There's a battle being waged for the soul of every man, woman, and child in this world. Sometimes I'm thankful that we don't see it in the physical reality, and then sometimes I read a book by an author like Frank Peretti, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could see it. 
I wish I could see what's going on. Maybe then we would take it more seriously. There is a battle for your soul. Sometimes doubts are going to be a part of uh, just the normal working out our faith. And sometimes, I believe this with my whole heart, Scripture reminds us that the enemy seeks to devour. He is roaring around like a, a lion seeking to devour anyone. He wants to destroy us. He wants nothing more than the, the seeds of doubt that are placed inside of us because of our human bent to sin. He wants nothing more than those seeds of doubt to be watered with miracle grow and to grow into mighty, mighty trees that would build up a hedgerow against a relationship with Jesus Christ. The enemy would love that. The enemy loves to feed our doubts. So let's flip the script. We're, we're so common that when we are experiencing a season of doubt, we, we, we proclaim it loudly. Well, I, just don't, I just don't know what I believe anymore. Can, can we doubt doubts? Can we say, hey, I, this is one of those tricks of the enemy. This is one of those natural tendencies of, of being a man or woman of faith. And can we say, you know what? I, I doubt those doubts. You're in good company with other doubters throughout church history, many who have walked where you may be walking in a season of doubt. We have good company in seasons of doubt where men and women have walked through these dark valleys of doubt and they have made it through on the other side and they would say to us, triumphant, keep walking, keep taking steps, keep going, put your head down, Scripture reminds us to be confident that we can keep on keeping on. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Paul writes to this early church, he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's still working on us. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Number four, Doubt your doubts. Believe your beliefs. I stole these lyrics from a Switchfoot song. John Foreman, wonderful artist. He wrote back in 1997, grow where you are, anchor your roots underneath. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Friends, if we're going to make it through seasons of doubt and uncertainty about matters of faith, we need to understand that we must have a firm foundation. We must dig deep roots of our spiritual lives. We must stand firm upon God's word. We must learn to believe our beliefs. Is there room for doubt? Yes. Is there room for belief? Absolutely. You're surrounded by people who believe. We must continue to proclaim the truth we know. Why is it? Why are we so prone to seasons of doubt where we remove ourselves from the things that will make us stronger, with the, the things that will help us through? When we experience a season of doubt, this is going on nationwide, worldwide. 
People who experience doubt, guess what they do? Seclude themselves. Remove themselves from fellowship. Close God's word. They don't want fellowship. They don't want to hear. They don't want to know. Can I encourage you in this fourth step? Believe what you believe. If you're experiencing doubt, spend even more time in God's word. Hear his voice. Stay in fellowship with believers. Allow some of our faith to rub off on you. Borrow uh, some of it for yourself. Hear the truths of who God is. Work out your faith. With the realities of the seeds of doubt tempting to lead us far from grace, it's important, maybe now more than ever, in the church's history for us to daily put on the full armor of God. That full armor that prepares us to defend and do battle with the enemy who would seek to destroy. The book of Ephesians chapter 6 gives us that perspective of what the full armor of God is. And I love verse 13 that reminds us that after battle, if we have put on the full armor of God, after that battle, after doing war, we can, we will stand firm if we've placed our trust in the only one who is fully trustworthy. It's Easter Sunday morning. Maybe you're here. Somebody brought you here. I, I, don't, I don't know all of our stories. I don't know where everyone is. I have a privilege of getting to know people who are willing to give their story and where they are. But I don't know everyone. And so I don't know what God is doing in your heart. I don't know what season of doubt you may or may not be in. Maybe you're not in a season of doubt, but maybe, again, it's around a corner. Maybe these words of Scripture can help you in uh, being bold in, in, in a friendship or a family relationship where someone needs encouraged to continue on in knowing what they know. But this morning on Easter Sunday, what better opportunity for us as a, a body of believers to proclaim boldly that we believe. We believe. I'm going to ask for you to stand with me. Maybe the subject of doubt strikes an interesting chord in your heart this morning. I want you to know today that if you struggle with doubt, uncertainties about matter of faith, matters of faith, you're in good company. This is a safe place for you. Maybe being reminded that you don't have to have all of the answers to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day you would take that step of faith and begin and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Here's the truth according to God's word. Romans 3.23, all of us, all humanity, every man, woman, and child has sinned and therefore falls short of the glory of God. We are all born sinful human beings. We all are born with sin. We need saved from our sin. Romans 6.23, the first part reminds us that the, the wages of sin is death. 
Because of sin, we will experience a, 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 a physical death, but more importantly, a spiritual death apart from God because of sin. That's the natural tendency. Because of the brokenness of humanity, we cannot be with a holy, perfect God. The wages of our sin is death. Understand this morning that we deserve death. The wage that we have earned because of sin we've been born with. The second part of Romans 6.23, the gift of God. But the gift of God, the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift It is a gift given freely. We must uh, not uh, try to imagine that we can manufacture this gift for ourselves. uh, There's no offshore uh, manufacturing plant where we can try to make this up on our own. It is a free gift from God through Jesus Christ. Our response is to receive it. We have to take that gift and allow it to transform our very lives. We have to ask God to forgive us and to save us from our unrighteousness. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still doubting, while we were still uncertain, while we still didn't have it all together, while we still didn't have all of the answers and we weren't living the way we should, Christ died for us. Jesus' life His love poured out through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave is our only hope for forgiveness and salvation. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Would you bow your heads? with the heads bowed and with our eyes closed. I wonder if there may be one or more here this morning who have yet to take a step of faith and take that first step in walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, I want you to have that opportunity right here at the close of our service on Resurrection Sunday to maybe declare to me, maybe to a family member, that today God's doing a work inside of you and you are surrendered to Jesus Christ. If that would be you and you would declare that this morning, would you just simply raise your hand and let me know. Today, you're surrendered to Jesus Christ for the first time. Is there anyone here like that? Thank you. Thank you, praise the Lord. Thank you, praise the Lord. Maybe this morning the story of Thomas or the unnamed disciples or even John the Baptist rings true for you in your heart and life. Maybe there's something going on inside of you where you once proclaimed boldly, you were public in your testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, and you are experiencing the possibility of a season of doubt. You've got questions. 
Maybe you didn't know it's okay to have questions. Hear me again, it's okay. If today you would like to publicly testify to renewing your faith in Jesus Christ, surrendering again to his lordship, to taking a step of faith to ask for help, to take those steps of faith, to doubt doubts, to believe beliefs. If you're taking one of those steps and you would testify to that, would you simply raise your hand this morning as a proclamation of renewing your relationship with Jesus? Thank you. Anyone else? Renewing your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're in good company, friends. Let's praise and pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for commitments made this morning in both of our services of people surrendering their life to you for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a work that you have begun in those hearts and lives. I pray that they would, these men and women would reach out to someone today and publicly declare that they want to be in a relationship with you. Lord, would you begin that discipleship process you've asked us to be uh, included in? Would you help us to continue to grow to know you more and more? And Lord, I thank you for the men and women who are declaring today that they experience doubt in their life. For those who have publicly acknowledged it, and for those of us, Lord, maybe we didn't admit it out loud, but it's real. Lord, would you renew our strength? Would you do a work? Would you renew our steadfast devotion to you? Thank you for being big enough for our questions. Thank you for allowing us to come to you without everything being together on our own. Would we find strength in your strength? Would we find wisdom in your wisdom and knowledge in your knowledge? Thank you for the resurrection, for the hope we have through Jesus Christ. Thank you for a hope to a world destined for hopelessness. Help us, Lord, as your ambassadors to be hope-filled and declare boldly the truths of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day, for this Resurrection Sunday. Go with us from this place. Fill us with your spirit anew. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said together, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Happy Easter.